But I want you to think ahead, and, and this works with uh, this whole idea of uh, where I'm going to go with this text, because we're back in John. We've been in John since the beginning of last year, and today we're in the 12th chapter. Uh, we're going to pick up about verse 34, where we left off last uh, week. But um, in any event, before we get there, I want you to think about uh, a solar eclipse, not a lunar eclipse, because next year on April the 8th, the of 2024, there will be a solar eclipse that the best place in the United States to see it will be in the host city of my alma mater, Carpendale, Illinois, Southern Illinois University, which amazingly, my mom and sister here, moving them from that area a couple years ago now, almost, they had a similar event in 2017. Carpendale must have been the focal point of however these ellipses go around and you know, the moon comes in between the earth and the sun, and you can't see the sun. And, and we're told not to look at the sun during a solar eclipse. But what do we want to do? Look at the sun. Because if you do, and, and the light is blocked out, I'm told that those ultraviolet or whatever kind of they are, you know, I, I am not a scientist, I'm not an optician, uh, that's a baby doctor. I'm not an optometrist. I'm barely a preacher. But I just want you to know that it can really damage your eyes. It can burn your eyes if you look at that. And we're familiar with things that can burn our eyes. I mean, your daughter is learning how to weld. And if you don't have the right helmet on, you can bake your eyes. If you're a snow skier and you're out somewhere high altitude especially and it's super white, you can get snow eyes, if you will. Some of you, snow eyes. I think you're making that up. No, look it up. You know, pilots and lifeguards wear sunglasses, not because they want to look cool, but because they want to protect their eyes. So, why would you risk blindness to see darkness? Think about that. We risk blindness to look at darkness all the time. Last week, we talked about the prince of this world, Jesus referring to Satan. He talks about he is the light of the world. He's come, in fact, that'll come later on in this chapter, but he will compare constantly him being the light and this dark world in which we live in. Now, Wednesday night, I came to uh, Refuel. That's our Wednesday night service where there's a great meal. We had uh, Fiesta. That was a great meal. Those of you who weren't here Wednesday night missed uh, fajitas and and chips and, and nachos, you know, cheese, and not your mama, but not your cheese. And, I mean, it was good stuff and, and a lot of eating, and, you know, Baptists love to eat. But I came in because I'd already been looking at this passage, and I asked some of the folks on the kitchen team, Do you, are you familiar with, and if I say it, some of you will sing it, Blinded by the... And do you know who sang that? I know he does. Say again? Now, once again, you get someone close to our birth year. That came out in 1976. Yeah. But what you may or may not know, which I didn't know, he probably does because he's like, you know, name that tune in one note. Do you know who wrote it? Bruce Springsteen. And Bruce Springsteen didn't make it a hit three years earlier. And if you are a rock aficionado, as some of you obviously are, Go to YouTube and listen to his version. It's totally different than Manfred's version. 
And there is a lot of um, debate about the lyrics of that song. And if you want to know more about that song, listen to a YouTube video that you can find that I did this week. Because I, I start chasing rabbits, you know. It has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach on, but I'm entertaining myself. Bruce Springsteen explains almost every line in the song as he's getting ready to sing it himself. So um, you say, well, why would you bring that up? Because John, in this gospel we have today, explains to us the light of the world and our need to trust in the light and be open to have our eyes and our hearts tender to the gospel. Because when we seek the darkness, the prince of this world, Our eyes are blinded to the light, and our hearts can be hardened to not believe. So if you have your Bibles, let me do something different just to challenge you to have already fallen asleep. Stand with me, if you can stand. If you can't, that's okay. And we'll look at uh, verse 34, chapter 12, and we'll go to about verse 41. Jesus has just told them that he's going to be lifted up. And I said last week, I think there's three ways to look at that. He's going to be lifted up on a cross. He's going to be lifted out of the grave. And he's going to be lifted back into heaven. But they're hearing that. And the crowd spoke up, verse 34. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence... They still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts. So they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Would you pray with me once again? Father, as we look at this passage that has so much in it, and some of it is very disturbing for us, some can be even confusing, but Lord, we pray that you'd give us open minds and understanding. You'd have our hearts be tender to the words that you have in store for us this day. And let us never seek the darkness, but always trust in the light. This is our prayer. We ask it knowing you hear. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. As I started working with this text last week, I first thought of flash photography. Uh, I know that some of you are not old enough to remember when you had a Kodak, wasn't that a 104 that had the little square on it that had like four and it would you flash it and it'd turn around and flash it and yeah. Or maybe you had a Polaroid where they shot out the front, you know, the ones you, uh, hello. And then it had a bar on the top if you had a fancy one that had several little flashes so you could have flashes. And if you've ever been the subject of someone ha- taking a picture with the flash, 
momentarily you're blinded. You know, it's like, oh, wow, you know, you knew it was going to happen, but yet it's kind of like that puff of light, you know, when you go to the, the eye doctor or a puff of wind. Uh, so I'm thinking about that, and I imagine that's how John was talking to the people that day. Maybe they would or not believe because of his brightness, maybe because of his goodness, maybe because of his glory that we talked about last week, that Jesus says, glorify thy name, and, and he is glorified. But maybe it was just too much seeing God. I, I had this Mo, Moses and, and God uh, memory coming back. That's Exodus 33 when you know, he wants to see God, and God says, no, man, you can't. You, know, you won't survive it. Let me, you can catch my backside as I walk by. And, and you remember when he came down from the mountain, did he look different? Like, dude, look like one of those cartoons. You know, he's, he's on fire. He's, he's, so, he's so energized from being in God's presence. And I thought, well, hmm. But if that's the message that, that John is trying to give us, that seeing the light is too much and it's going to blind us, uh, stay tuned for John 14 where Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We'll be on that in just a few weeks. So I kept coming back around, where am I going to go with this? How, how does this make sense in, in my practical or impractical mind? It is that we get blinded by darkness. The prince of this world hardens our hearts, blinds our eyes because we seek him instead of the Holy One. Verse 36 tells us to put our trust in the light while you still have it. So Jesus is not that which blinds, for we are to trust the light. And that's our first thought of the day. Why are you to trust the light? Well, read the rest of that verse. So that you may become sons of light. And going deeper into Scripture, let me read these three for you. If, you if you're a note taker, maybe you want to write these down. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. John writes in 1 John, the first chapter, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, let's go back to verse 34 where I started this whole confusing passage, or at least maybe it is for me. Maybe you guys are so clear on all this. What Cliff is saying has no practical application. Well, verse 34, the crowd speaks up, says, We have heard from the law of Christ that Christ will, or from the law, that the Christ will remain forever. And how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Well, technically, Jesus doesn't say that the Son of Man must be lifted up. Technically, he says, I must be lifted up in the earlier verses. But this crowd was astute enough to know that Jesus had referred to him as the son of, himself as the Son of Man, which is referenced in Daniel. It has great messianic ties, that, that title. And throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus being referring to himself as the Son of Man. We also know that the word Christ, that word for the one who would save us, and, and this understanding now is that Jesus is coming. He is, the, he is the one, the Christ, the Messiah has come, but he says, I'll be lifted up, which in their minds, they think the length of his reign. 
And God had promised to David that his reign would last through all the generations, that there'd always be someone from his lineage sitting on the throne. So they couldn't quite get their minds around the fact that the Christ was standing in front of them was the one that they had been praying for and waiting for. In fact, they, they wanted him to be like the one they had expected, the one that they had planned for, the one that would be more comfortable with the way their plans had it laid out. Ask yourself this morning, how many times have you found yourself chasing the darkness rather than trusting the light? Arguing with God that your way is better than his way. I'm sure none of you have done that. You know, the world says, define yourself. Be whatever you choose to be. God says, you are my workmanship. I made you. Created to do good works. Not by the prince of this world, but by the creator, the redeemer, and sustainer of this world. Place yourself in the hands of the potter and see what he will make you into. Yesterday, speaking of pottery, my family attended uh, Northside School District, Northside Independent School District's uh, art show, one of, I guess, two that they do, uh, over here at Ferris Athletic Complex. It was in the new gymnasium. I'd never been there in fact, I've never been in, I think I have been near the water park. I've been to football games, but I've never been inside that, uh, you know, uh, athletic uh, building. And it was full of artwork from elementary school to high school kids. And speaking of pottery, which I was there for a second, there were some donuts that looked so real that I was ready to pick them up and eat them. There were a couple slices of pizza made into pottery that you could have sold, you know, at, at Little Caesars, and thought people would have thought that was real. The children's talent to do that, to, to doing things that, you know, I'm not an art expert by any means, but I can see when something is trying to look like a Picasso. And there are some kids you could see, they obviously were studying Picasso, or they were studying anime, or they were studying something else. And the amount of effort that these children had put in, their parents to come there, the teachers who had taught them, it was, it was praiseworthy. It was just amazing. All these, this time to shine the light on these young artists. One booth on the second floor had, uh, it was a tent, and you would go in there, and it, I don't know if it was black light, or I know I had to look this up because I know Lou Ranoff is here. He'll probably correct me. A ultraviolet light and a black light are not really the same. I had to learn that this week. It's like an ultraviolet A. It's a little different version of that. But in this room where these kids had painted with fluorescent paint, you'd walk in and these pictures came alive. I had a shirt on, one of our word, you know, the, our little motto that we, or not word, with, that we're with God, you know, with a mission and, and with each other. And it lit up, it was white on my shirt and it lit up pink in there. And I was like, that's no way I'm wearing that, you know. But, but my grandson was loving it, how these things were coming alive. And as I thought about that, you say, where is he going to get to a point? I've heard of people who get stamps on their hands when they go to certain places. Probably athletic events, you know. Maybe a concert somewhere, I don't know. Maybe it floors, I don't know. But it made me think that 
There are some of us that think that God is putting an ultraviolet stamp on our hands. That way, when things get really bad, there's a blacklight reader in the back. Uh, there's an usher holding that that will flash it on our hand and say, oh, yeah, you're a member. Let me tell you, there's no blacklight in the back. Nor would we want to trust anyone holding that light, thinking that they could determine who could come in or who could come not go in. Because God... When he created you and tells you to trust in the light, he sees you as a masterpiece. Our ladies are going to talk about that in one of their, in, the, in a retreat upcoming soon. That we are God's works of art. And no matter how messed up you think you are, God's love is so strong, so powerful, he sees you not only as he created you, but what he wants you to be. John tells us to put our trust in the light while we can. Verse 36. Thirty-six. Yes, I'm oh, sorry. It helps if you get on the right page, Cliff. Why is that not looking like you thought it should? Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. He is foreshadowing Jesus' death at this point, and it's also timely for us today. We always think that we have more time. How many projects do you have in your house right now? Or your garage? Or your yard, if it's like my house? That you know... Someday you're going to get to. There'll always be a time to go see your folks, right? You're right. There won't be. There'll always be time to make up with a friend that you have offended or that you have wronged. At least in your mind you think that. There'll always be time to seek forgiveness or to repair a broken relationship. It's like we never expect the candle of our lives to burn out. Oh, the flame is strong. There may not be much left of the wick or the wax. But there's always time to serve God. And God often gets put in the back. How many times I've heard people say, well, when the kids get a little older, we'll start coming to church. It won't happen. Or we do the opposite. We're retired where we... Our time is our time, and, and we don't take time to invest in God's house. Well, why, why would I want to teach a class now? Why, why would I want to lead a Bible study? I'm retired. I, I don't have any responsibilities, and that's the way I like it. Well, as J.D. Greer said in our Wednesday night Bible study, if you've been missing these, he's studying Romans. I mean, he is spot on. He calls out some of us who are ninja Christians. We get in, we get out. There's no stink of church on us. In fact, he goes on to say, I'm quoting J.D., but I've decided, I'm using because I think it's true. If you think that you can be an active Christian and not be deeply involved in the fellowship of God's believers, you are both naive and arrogant. Trust in the light. When's the last time you had your cell phone and you had to use the flashlight feature on it versus the telephone feature on it? Anybody? I mean, if I go to a restaurant and I don't have bifocals, you know, you got to get the laser out to see it. Yeah. 
You drop your keys or something in the car, you know, you get the flashlight out. I want you to know that in the darkness, the light will show you the way. And we live in a dark world that the light is what we must trust in. How many of you remember back to vacation Bible school, we do the pledge, the flags are not out, I know. It's not that we're on it, patriotic, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid that Wade will get up there and start dancing and knock one over, right? Yeah. But when we do, we do the Pledge of the American flag, usually the Pledge of the Christian flag, and we do the Pledge of the Bible, and we use that psalm passage that says, I will make thy word a light unto my... Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, some of you got it. Yeah, you want me to give you exactly? I think I have it in here somewhere. And your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Trust the light. Finally... Give us eyes to see and a heart to understand. Now, verses 37 through 41 recall some complicated prophecy in Isaiah. The first part is Isaiah 53, verse 1, which he says, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then verses 40 and including 41 because it implies that because interestingly enough, Isaiah saw the pre-incarnate glory of Jesus. Let me say that again. Pre-incarnate. Before he was flesh, Isaiah saw the glory of Christ. And he writes in, in Isaiah 6, he has blinded their eyes. This is what his verse 40 is repeating. He has blinded their eyes deaden their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Actually, John flips it around and John even includes the ears. So he says, first, they've blinded their eyes. Excuse me, he has he's hardened their hearts. He has deafened their ears and he's blinded their eyes. He has those three different uh, elements of the believer and non-believer. The idea is that people have been so calloused, so hard of hearts, so blind, so deaf. In fact, Laura was talking to me earlier. I said, that's really describing me. My heart's, you know, I've got a lot of blockage in there. Can't hear anymore, and I can barely see. So is he talking to me? Am I, am I the one? And I know some of you might see when you first look at this, how, how could God intentionally harden one of his creation's heart? How could he intentionally cause one of his not to see him, or cause one of him not to hear his voice? How could the same God that would send his son to die on a cross for us cause us not to be able to recognize, hear him, or believe in him? Well, if you back up to Isaiah and understand more of the book of Isaiah, and I'm not saying I am a God, you know, Isaiah teacher, but Isaiah, you remember that, in fact, I think it's six that... that Earlier on that, he says, and a voice came unto me, who will go for us or who will go for me? And he says, here I am, send me. And then he gives, goes into this whole liturgy. Basically, he is called to serve God in a society that has already gone away from God. They have already turned their backs. They have already hardened their hearts. They have already stopped believing. And God calls him to go and continue to proclaim. In fact, Isaiah kind of argues with him, or at least says, how long, Lord, how long shall I do this? Have that thought in your mind. Fast forward to 2023. 
how many TV worship stations could you turn on today if you have satellite or cable or whatever you have to bring TV into your house? Or if you have the internet, how many worship services could you log into right now and stream them live? I would estimate thousands, at least thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. If you're a resident of San Antonio and familiar with it, because Holotus would be easy, you could say, you can't go half a mile without hitting a church in Holotus. I would say at San Antonio at large, you probably can't go much more than three miles without hitting a church somewhere. Now, it may not be your flavor of church. It may not be a Baptist church. There might be some other kind of Christian denomination. But that we're that plentiful. And you can't hardly drive in this community without someone on a street corner collecting money to help someone else. Now, yes, there's always the panhandler. There's always a person in need. But you might find an organization that's collecting for abused whatever. There might be somebody collecting for drug addicts. There might be somebody collecting for their ministry. And you have all this bombarding you, or not you, let's make it say others. You have all this bombarding people, and they become very quickly hardened of their hearts. Well, that's just another person collecting. That's just another preacher wanting my money. That's just another church that, that has got it wrong. Why would you waste your time believing in this God that no one else seems to truly follow outside of Sunday morning? Has our society hardened its heart with or without God's help? I believe God is sovereign, and if God does, in fact, harden someone's heart, that's well within his power and the Godhead to do that. But I think it's easy to understand that we often, the human beings, contribute greater or greatly to that hardening, blindness, and deafness to the gospel. Fred Craddock is probably my favorite preacher. Not because of his voice, because if you've ever heard his voice on tape, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord. He was a Methodist uh, preacher. Um, he was a wonderful storyteller with a very high squeaky voice. You know, you've got to have a good story to listen to a squeaky voice. There are some people with great voices. We had a guy, uh, Richard Tolliver. Remember Richard Tolliver? Uh, African-American, uh, retired colonel. I was stationed in Albuquerque, and when he spoke, I said, man, will you just read the phone book? I think I hear God. <laughs> he had this voice that just commanded your attention. Fred Craddock's is more like this. But he also probably aligns with me, and I know I've shared with you some about him before. He is a storyteller. His father was a storyteller. And Craddock would say that his dad would often go to the general store where he was from and around the picker, pickle barrel or the cracker barrel, and I don't mean cracker barrel that's out there on the interstate, I mean where you literally had a wooden barrel with crackers or pickles in it, his dad would tell stories. And they were so entertaining, people would throw a nickel or a few pennies on top of that barrel because of the stories that his father told. So you need to know that. And then let me share with you this true story about Craddock and his father. I think I've shared it at least one time in here, but it, it makes so much of a connection for me. 
And I can tell it to you, but I think I'll read it to you. Because if I tell it to you, I'll cry, and I probably will cry as I read it. Because it, it is a wonderful illustration of what we're talking about. He writes, My mother took us to church in Sunday school. My father didn't go. He complained about Sunday dinner being late when she came home. Sometime the preacher would call and my father would say, I know what the church wants. Church doesn't care about me. Church wants another name, another pledge, another name, another pledge. Right? Isn't that the name of the game? Another name, another pledge. That's what he always said. Sometimes we'd have a revival. The pastor would bring the evangelist and say to the evangelist, there's one now, sick him. <laughs> Those of you who have been in small churches, I mean, I did the same thing when I was pastoring in Illinois. There's a lost soul, let's go get him. And my father would say the same thing. Every time my mother in the kitchen, always nervous in fear of flaring tempers or someone being hurt, and my father would say, the church doesn't care about me. The church wants another name, another pledge. And I guess I heard that a thousand times. One time he didn't say it. He was in the veterans hospital. And he was down to 73 pounds. They had taken out his throat. And the doctor said it's too late. They put in a metal tube. And the x-rays had burned him in many places. I flew in to see him. He couldn't speak. He couldn't eat. I looked around the room and I saw potted plants and fresh cut flowers on the windowsills of the hospital room. A stack of cards that was at least 20 inches deep beside his bed. And even that tray where they put food, if you could eat, on that was a flower. And all the flowers beside the bed, every card, every blossom, were from people or groups from my mother's church. He saw me reading a card. He could not speak. So he took a Kleenex box and wrote on the side of it a line from Shakespeare. If he had not written this line, I would not tell you this story. He wrote, In this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. I said, Dad, what's your story? He wrote, I was wrong. Lord, give us the eyes to see and the hearts to understand. Stand with me, please. Our Father, as we call on your name, there are some of us that, even though we're in your house, we've been blind to your way. Even though we're standing in these pews, our hearts have gotten hard, or at least calloused for the lost. Some of us here have been deaf to the gospel call to seek forgiveness, to trust in you and confess our sins. Lord, help us to have eyes to see you 
and a heart to understand your love for us. Let us trust the light of the world, your son Jesus, who came that we might have life and have it even more abundantly than our greatest imagination. Father, if there's one here who needs to come to these steps and pray, let them know that this is the time. If there's someone here who says, my heart has been hard so long that now I want to open it up to you, Lord, let them respond. We'll pray together. We'll ask them to receive Christ as their Savior. Let your Holy Spirit speak unto us now. Open our ears for what you have us to say to us. This I pray in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen.